Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message by our pastor, Douglas A. White. I want you to turn your Bibles. Well, as a matter of fact, uh, the, the responsive reading we just had together, the reading that we just did together, Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor, and I'll give you rest. So apparently what Jesus was coming for has to do with rest. So I want to speak to you today about rest. I'd like you to see with me how important rest is by going to Hebrews chapter 3 with me just for a moment. Hebrews chapter 3. We have a lot of scripture to look at right there. So if you would just turn to Hebrews 3 and we'll work our way through that passage. Hebrews is a book written to Jewish people who had believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And these Jewish people, having believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, I think this this letter is written about 68 A.D. In about two years from the time this is written, there is going to be the complete destruction of the temple. With the complete destruction of the temple, there is going to be a, a grand loss. There will not be a Levitical system anymore. There will not be a way to offer up sacrifices. There will not be a way to have centralized worship. Everything's going to be completely disrupted. Some of the Hebrew people, having trusted in Jesus Christ and being disappointed that the kingdom hadn't already been established and still under Roman rule, had determined that maybe this had been the wrong thing. So they're headed back to the temple. And they're starting to do some temple worship and some church worship. And more and more, they're starting to leave the church and spend more time over at the temple area. As they leave that church, that's why the book of Hebrews says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, which is the practice of some. That's the category for it. That's what's the, the setting for it. They were leaving the church, and they were going over here because they were disappointed about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It hadn't happened, and they wondered if they had been misled. Well, they already had the tradition of, of the Jewish way, so With that that tradition, they were headed back to what they knew to do. The writer of Hebrews writes to them, telling them the grand mistake that's going to be. So picking up with Hebrews chapter 3, he goes back to the Exodus, and he's speaking there what God had to say. So Hebrews 3, pick up with verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. So what he's saying is, and after those 40 years, they weren't following him. They'd watched him for 40 years, and they were still complaining about everything he had to do. They're still complaining about being in the wilderness, still complaining and not trusting him at all. He said, therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. There's that word again. That word rest is related to the word we looked at last week, be still. Okay, so let's go on. That's not the end of it. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. What causes us to depart from the living God? What does it say here? What, what causes us to walk away from the faith of the living God? Unbelief. Unbelief. 
what is the belief? That, that, that doesn't necessarily mean you say, I don't believe there's a God. They knew there was a God. Good. There's this cyclone standing in front of them all the time. There's a cloud. There's fire standing. They know there's a God. But what they didn't do, they didn't believe God could do anything he wanted to do. They didn't believe in the goodness of God. Where are they living? In the wilderness. In tents. Where had they been living? Okay, so it had been slavery, but they'd been living in houses. They had good houses, and they had good vegetables, and they had good feed every day. What do they got now? Tents, sweaty people, and manna, salmon rolls every day, honey buns in the morning, honey buns in the evening. And it rots if you keep it overnight. You got to go get it every day. Complain about water. God brings water even out of a rock. But they don't believe him. They don't believe in his goodness. They believe that the desert is, is bigger than he is. That the desert's going to consume them. It's going to wipe them out. They'll die out there in the desert. How many times they tell Moses, were there not enough graves in Egypt? Then we had to come here to die. We don't want to die in the wilderness. This is it. You're going to kill us out here. They didn't believe God. You follow that? And in the unbelief, they departed from the living God. Let me go on further with you, because he's got something to say here. In verse 13, it says, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So, Sin is so deceitful, you, you might not be giving thanks to God that day and fall into a pattern, a routine of doing things the wrong way, of unbelief. For, if we, for we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. So he's saying here, look, you started out with Lord Jesus Christ. Don't go back anyplace else. Stay with Jesus. Stay with Jesus. It's your, that's your confidence. And while it is said, today if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who having heard rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. So he said he has some kind of rest that's waiting for them, some kind of stillness that's waiting for them that they're not getting. And they're not getting it because unbelief is keeping them from it. Because they won't believe what God is doing, they can't enter into his rest. So I begin to see that this rest thing is pretty important. Do you? Let's go on a little further. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest... Since they didn't do it, there's still a promise remains there for us. Let us fear, lest any of you seem to come short of it. So that happened to them. They didn't get to enter the rest. If you head back to the temple, do you understand you're not going to enter into his rest? Don't come short in the same way they did. Don't, don't turn wrong and go the wrong way. Here it says in, in verse 2 then. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them. Why? Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. What gospel? What gospel did they hear? Here's the gospel I know they got to hear. At least one part of the gospel I know they got to hear. You're slaves in Egypt right now. 
I have for you a land. And in that land, it is going to be blessed fully and completely. Nothing but goodness in that land. I have a land to you that you're going to own. I have a land there for you that I'm going to prosper. It's going to be better than any land ever. I am giving you this promise. But you're going to have to go from here to get there. And I'm going to take you through that process, and you're going to get to see me, going to be introduced to me. You're going to learn who I am. That's the whole purpose of those wanderings. It wasn't just to go straight from there, straight from Egypt, right into the promised land, because there's a faster way to go than the way they did. But God said, lest the people see the, the battle before they get there and become disheartened, I'm going to take you through another place where you have to trust me there. All that whole wandering was to do was to give them trust in order that he could give them rest. Wow, be great if we knew what that rest was. Well, it's coming up. It's coming up. Let's go ahead and watch what he goes on to say. Uh, It didn't profit them because it wasn't mixed with faith. For verse 3 says, For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he had said. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. So God entered a rest, yet the people are not going to enter a rest. God planned that rest for people, yet they weren't entering that rest. Let's go on further. Verse 6. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. In other words, God's promised a rest. And and we know that those who came out of Egypt didn't get it. And we know that those came in the promised land didn't get it. So there's a rest still to come. That's our rest. It's still to come. Let's enter it. Now, going further, because he says this. Verse 7. I'm sorry, since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying, David, today, after such a long time as it been said today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You know, if you're going to repeat a verse three times, there must be something you wanted to get in that, okay? So look at verse eight. For if Joshua had given them rest, in other words, when they got to the promised land, if Joshua gave them rest, he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. So he had in mind a different rest. And I think he's trying to tell us here that rest was planned for us. So let's go on further. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. All right, stop just a minute. That just said that that rest has to do with ceasing from your works just as God ceased from his works. So we're going to have to talk about that just a little bit. Let's go to verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In other words, this knows, this word knows whether you're believing him or not believing him. It can be a snow job. You can be saying, yeah, I'm doing things that make it look like I believe him. Or you might really be believing him. 
And the word of God is what discerns the difference between the two. Verse 13, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So here we got, we got people who started out believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. They've moved along with this whole thing, yet they haven't entered the rest. And now They've gone along so far and nothing's happened that they thought was supposed to happen. So now they've started to depart from that and they're starting to head in unbelief back to another system, the old system, the one they used to know. And he's telling them that old system does not work. It's unbelief when you leave Jesus Christ behind and you begin to do something on your own. This now becomes your works, where over here had been his works. All right? So having said that, let's just go back for a moment. Consider with me uh, from Genesis on. What is the work of God? So your, your outline today starts with a divine plan in the beginning. What is the work of God? The work of God is creating the entire cosmos. That's what he did. So if we can break that down just a little bit, let's, let's ask this question. What has to happen as God creates the entire cosmos? Here's what I know. Here's the beginning of time. I know that something went, went on back here before that. There was a plan. He's not consulting any of us about that plan. He's not talking with any of us about that plan. He's not speaking to any of the angels about that plan. Why? They haven't even come into existence yet. They're not going to come into existence until after he's planned, he says now, let there be light. And from there on, from that point on, the plan is being worked out. Everybody with me? It's God's plan. He's working it all out. So with that plan, he creates environments for life. Why don't you consider with me, the first four days, what does he bring into existence? There was only water there because water had covered everything. He says, let there be light, so he brings light into it. He separates the water and puts something in between there. Now air is in there, so I've had water, light, air, and life mediums now are going to come out of it. I've got water for fishy things to swim in. I've got land for critters to be on. I've got land for vegetation to be on. So he's creating water, life, air, and mediums for them to exist in, all right? He's creating life support systems for what's going to come. He didn't create animals and people until much later in the system. The first four days, he's creating environments for that to take place. Kids, if I can tell you, that's a plan for the church. One of the reasons we're supposed to love one another and care for one another is that we're supposed to create environments where we can grow. We can encourage each other. We, we give each other the love that each other, we forgive each other, we talk to each other, we encourage each other. That builds a healthy culture. That builds people up. Now the whole group gets built up, but every individual gets built up in it. That's creating an environment. And what we're going to do is seek other people to be involved in that environment with us. We're bringing in people through the gospel of Jesus Christ into that environment so they too can be a part of that environment. You follow what I'm saying? So those first four days, you've got to create those environments, and then you create living beings the next two days. So he spends day five and six creating living beings to be on it. 
They've already got everything they need. They needed water. They needed air. They needed light. They needed vegetation. And he, he has that all ready for them. He created it ready for them. He didn't consult a single one of them as to what he should do. Are you following where we're coming from? He didn't ask the camels, what do you want to have to eat? He didn't ask any of the rhinoceros, what would you like to eat? He didn't ask any questions of whales. He didn't ask any questions of gorillas. He didn't ask any of us any what we'd like to have to eat. He provided it all, and we were to use it all. Everybody with me? All right. The creative, sustaining word in teamwork with life-giving spirits. So that's what he, he brought about. He brought the word of God to them, the sustaining word. He gives to them the spirit. After all, he makes this dirt thing up and then blows his spirit into the thing. The wind and the spirit goes into that, animates that dirt thing, and now it's in the image of God. It's connected with God. And that, that living thing is supposed to represent God on earth. It's to rule just as God would rule. It's to make order. Well, I don't want to get there yet. I'll get that. We'll, we'll see that in just a few moments. All right? It was all done by, through, and for Christ. The same Christ who's going to say, Come unto me, all you who labor, and I will give you rest. Does it not make sense that when this one is creating it back here, he's creating it with rest in mind? If he's going to give them rest, doesn't it make sense that he would be doing that from the beginning? Here's what I know. All the way back here, he said, Blessed are those who die in the Lord, for their labors have ended and they've come to a rest. You follow that? He had it here. He had it here. Something happened here that he's got to say at this point, come to me, all you who are labor, and I will give you rest. What was he intending for us? Let's, let's see what else we can find in this, all right? What is the rest of God? So God is actively working. And guys, I, I don't know about you. I just cannot fathom the mind that can figure out how to do all those processes and speak them into existence. We were talking earlier, I think, uh, Daniel, we were talking about artificial intelligence and how, how it, it seems to work and it do, does things very quickly. May I tell you, the true intelligence does things fantastically quick. How, how do you create something that has atoms in it that have to interact with each other, that creates whole systems that have to interact with each other and make those whole processes work. Do you know that when God got done doing all that with all those symbiotic, interdependent, interactive systems at work there, that on day seven, he looks at it and says, wow, that's good. That is good. I like that. I want you to consider with me this, this is a rest. How did he rest? He stopped creating. But even as he stopped creating, can I tell you what he's admiring and looking at is that all those systems are working just like he said. 
That water's all running like it's supposed to. That air is entering all the lungs of all the living things that are out there. All those living things are putting air back out again so that when we blow out our carbon dioxide, the plants are taking in our carbon dioxide. When they take in the carbon dioxide, they blow out the oxygen and we're getting the oxygen back. Wow! He's just watching it work, admiring it, and can I say, he's refreshed. God thinks that's a good thing. And in that rest, he's wanting us to have that rest. The rest of God. The systems are working, operating as they were created. The world is at peace. Action has stopped, yet systems operate upheld by his words. In other words, God's not doing any creative action. He can sit back and watch and let it do its thing. It's doing its wonderful thing. All right? He is joyfully watching it all happen. He's refreshed. But he's made us the image of God. So if he's made us in the image of God, he's expecting us to do just like he did. So if I can say, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working as a team together here, as the Father speaks, the Word creates, and the Spirit gives it life. The Father speaks, the Word creates, the Spirit gives it life. So if he says, let there be light, the Father speaks, the Son creates, and the Spirit gives that light life. What is light? Just think of all the things that light does. All the different systems that that light sets up, makes it work properly. If it's going to be vegetation, the Father speaks, the Son creates, the Spirit gives it life. It grows. It's fruitful. It keeps doing things. And God is enjoying this whole process that he's doing here. That's what he's got in mind for us as well. Why? We are in his image. And he wants us to do exactly like what he was doing. All right? Matter of fact, go back to Genesis chapter 1 with me a moment. I want you to see something. All right, Genesis 1. So you're going to pick up with me at 26 and 27, 28. We'll come back to the other scriptures later here. All right. Here's what he said. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Stop just a minute. What do you say to do? As on, on days five and six when he's creating the things in the water, when he's creating the things in the air, when he's creating things on the ground, he's having them be taken care of. They are going to eat the things that are there. I do not know how the first cow knew, knew its grass were going to eat. The cow was attracted to it. The cow ate it. Whatever the giraffe was attracted to, he ate it. I don't know what they were attracted to, how he had them do it, but he'd already provided for them. You follow where I'm at? It's already done. He's not having to say anything to them. He has made them so that they are going to eat, they are going to grow, they're going to mature, and they're going to reproduce. He's saying that for everything that's there. Grass is going to reproduce, the plants, are, the trees are going to reproduce. It's all going to reproduce, and so are the, peop the, the animals who are there and only the people who are there. And he's calling on this group of people to have dominion over that, that whole process. It's, it's going to be to make sure that there is adequate water running in adequate places so that they can all get a drink. Going to make sure that as he's tending the garden that there's adequate food. If this is what the giraffe likes to eat, you're going to make sure that you've got plenty for the giraffe. You're ruling like he rules. You follow that? 
it's having dominion over all the other created things, not each other. Not a word in there about having dominion over people because that's not what it's about. Let me go on further with you because I want you to see there's, there's more to it than that. He says, um, so God, in verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then watch this. Then God commanded them saying, is that what your Bible says? Don't let me lie to you. Is that what your Bible says? No. What did it say? He blessed them. Do you understand this is not a commandment he's giving? This is a blessing he's giving because this is what he made them for. He's blessed them so that they would be fruitful and multiply. He blessed them so that they would scatter out from there and create order out of disorder. The garden is gorgeous. It's set up just like what it's supposed to. But outside the garden is the wilderness. It's not set up like it's supposed to. It's the delight of God to turn people loose in there and say, you've lived in the garden. You know what the garden's like. Create order in this. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to have dominion over the fish of the sea and all that. So out here, there are more fish. Out here, there are more uh, bison. Out here, there are more earthworms. Out here is more everything. Make sure they have an environment like what I gave you. Have dominion over all of that and subdue the earth. You're going to make it like I made it. You're going to make, you're bringing all of that into this one big thing. I'm going to expand the garden. Why? Because I'm expanding you. That's a blessing. I'm going to bless you with how to bring order out of disorder. And we're going to do it as a team. I'm not assigning you this job by yourself. Because you're in my image, you're going to go with me into all those places, and I'm going to work through you to bring order out of disorder. I'm going to work through you to bring all of these things into the standard. I'm going to work through you to be to have dominion over all those. I'm going to work through you to have you have p- children. They had full, direct communication with God. Can I say this? They were united with God through His Spirit. That's how it was working. This was a union, a united effort that's going on here between God and, and the human. They are connected together. Yes, that connection is by trust, but it's a union that they have. Everybody with me? It's only going to be as they realize they're going to trust somebody more than they trust him. Listen, this relationship, this union with God is built in trust. They are clothed in the glory of God. Now, as you think about the glory of God, just think with me. What was it like when Moses went into the presence of God? Remember when Moses went in the presence of God, he listened to what God had to say. When he came back out, do you remember how he looked? He was glowing. Because he was glowing, he had been in the presence of God. That's the glory of God in which Adam and Eve were dressed. That's how they could be naked and still be just fine because they're clothed in that glory of God. It's going to be as they trust someone else than him and break the bond that held them. 
that they're going to realize they're naked. Why? The glory's gone. That which had covered them before was gone. And the union that they had was not there anymore. They were not going to get to work with God. They were now going to have to do things by themselves. Everybody see where I'm coming from? Because sin, the, the one thing that sin did do, let me, uh, uh, let me take us on over to chapter 3. When it comes to Adam, the one thing it's going to say, then to Adam he said, verse 317, then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. So in other words, not only did they trust the wicked one who had tempted them, but now Adam being passive is trusting his wife's word over the word of God. That doubled it, it jeopardy on the thing. Now he's got this double thing going where he trusted his wife instead of trusting God. And now he's saying, because that's what you did, look what happens. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, to dust you shall return. They weren't clothed in the glory of God. They weren't in union with God anymore, and now work is going to change. What originally had been a restful work, they'd been down to do something. They, they move things around, however they're going to do their work, and God working through them was going to accomplish what's supposed to happen. Now, without that union, without that uh, uh, glory being shared there, they're on their own. They still have to reorder the earth, but now they're on their own doing it. Now it's hard work that's going to come out. And you will plan what you're going to build on your own. Can I say to you, they didn't always plan well. Remember, this is the group that planned the Tower of Babel. This is the group that planned all kinds of cities. This group did not plan well. Why? They were not in a union with God. And without that union, they have no rest. Now they're doing their own works not the works of God. In that union, they had direct communication with God. They knew what God wanted to do, and they could work that direct communion. But without that, they're on their own. Everybody see where we're coming from? That's called separation. That's spiritual death. And if we stay in that spiritual death environment, we're forever that way. Only through faith in Christ can that union be restored. Only through faith in Christ can we come to that rest where it's a union of God. Can we be still and know that he is God? All right? You'll notice that the blessing of God was for fruitfulness. It was in bringing order from disorder. It was godly dominion over creation, not over one another. It was the blessing to tend and to keep the garden. And it was with the energy of God, that's the union with God through trust, to image God in his work. When you are doing things the way God wants them done, when you are doing work with God's energy, you have glorified God. 
and the job itself won't matter. You follow where I'm coming from? Yes, you can say, man, when, when you are singing praises to God, you're, you're finally being filled with the Spirit. I want you to know this. When you are washing those dishes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you're cleaning somebody else's junk off a plate, you have just glorified God. Why? Because you brought order out of disorder. You're doing it in the name of Jesus Christ. You are in union with Christ, and you are now glorifying God. How do I know that? Because he said, whatever you do or eat or think or drink, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll glorify God. It's doing things the way God would do them. How does God do them? He's fruitful. So the work that you do is to be a fruitful work. Number two, he brings order out of disorder. Number three, he brings good dominion into a place. Servant leadership. Look, the dominion they're going to have is to make sure that all those critters get served. They get to have what they need to have. That's how they're all going to prosper together. Going another step. The distrust of God and its consequences, obviously, the fruitfulness became more difficult for them, and work is without the partnership of God unless faith is expressed. Now, let me go to the work, the divine plan in the restoration. Here's what God planned in the restoration of all things. Number one, what was his work then? To become one of us, the incarnation. That's the work of God. When God comes in this world, he's coming in as the God-man. He has to be born of a woman so he can be a man. He has to be born by God so he can be divine. So he's got both things going for him. That's the incarnation. That's the work of God. What's the ministry of Christ? I want you to think with me just for a moment. That, what beautiful things come out of that ministry of Christ. Let me see if I can get my notes here. I loved it. The ministry of Christ, notice what Christ did. Does he do work? Yes, he does. How does he do that work? It's not whether you're going to work or not. He's ordained that we're going to work. It's how you do that work. What did Christ do in that work? When it was time for him to go to Jerusalem, he went to Jerusalem, right? When he's about his father's business, remember when just as, as an early kid, uh, they're, they're asking him, where are you? Why, why do you? He said, did you not know I had to be about my father's business? In other words, he's recognized that God has a special calling on his life, and he's the one who's going to be doing that work. That's the ministry of Christ. He's going to pray and wait and do what God shows him to do. Matter of fact, John chapter 5, he said this, I don't do anything except what I see my father do. If he did do things outside of what his father had said to do, he would be working independently. And that independent behavior would show a rebellion. He's now choosing what he wants to do, what he doesn't want to do. Everybody see where I'm coming from? He couldn't do that. That would be rebellion. So Jesus waits to find out what the father wants done and does that. Can I, can I share with you? Waiting is just a part of what all of the scriptures are about. How long does it take for Abraham and Sarah to finally have a child? Kids, that's about waiting. That's about waiting. And when you run out of waiting, you go ahead and do something that's foolish. You'll try to do something on your own. That's not rest. 
When you rest, you're waiting for God to do and complete the promise that he said. That rest is to say, I trust you implicitly. I know you'll show me what to do. Well, let me go further. He created environments of learning with authoritative teaching, just like he had created environments back here. He's got to create all this first four days to get things ready for this to take place. Jesus is going to create environments. He says, I'm going up on the side of a mountain. He goes up on the side of the mountain. Everybody comes up to him. What does he start doing? Teaching the Word of God. He's, he goes to people. He finds them hurting. So what does he do? He heals the people of God. What's the purpose of that? Look, it wasn't to keep them from dying because all the people that he healed are going to die anyway. You follow me? So the goal was to teach them God working through me can do these miraculous things. He's to show them I am at rest. I am resting in my Father, and I'm doing my Father's works. Why? Because the Father had things he wanted to do through the Son. And the Son is saying, I will be that vessel. Do Use me. I will not do anything on my own. I will do exactly what you tell me to do. And that's what he did. If it's going to be waiting three days to before he goes to see his sick and dying friend, then he waits three days. He's not concerned about how people are going to feel about him. He's not concerned about their opinion of him because, after all, he should have already been there. You disappointed us. You didn't do what we thought you ought to do. That was not a concern to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father said, wait. So Jesus is going to wait. Then when the Father tells him, you can raise him from the dead, then Jesus raises him from the dead. When the Father tells him he's not going to die in a storm, he doesn't die in a storm. When the disciples wake him up and say, are you going to do something? Then with the Father's permission, he stops the storm. He's not doing anything on his own. You follow me here? All right. Let's see if we can go a little further with this. He was going to draw and create a devoted group of disciples and give them real life. He's just repeating creation, kids. As God had picked two people here and gave them permission to be blessed and gave them things to do, Jesus is doing the same thing with 12 guys. He's saying to those 12 guys and all the men and women who are following along with them, I am giving you life. I'm giving you eternal life. I'm giving you real life. Trust me, and I will give you rest. He's going to impart to those believers the Holy Spirit. Then he's going to show them how to do the will of God and give them authority to disciple the nations to expand the kingdom of God, just like they were supposed to leave the garden and go into the rest of the world, filling that world with glory by bringing order out of disorder. So are we commanded to get out of our places and go into the rest of the world, going where we know there are hostile principalities and powers and bringing to them the truth of the knowledge of God to bring order out of the disorder that those wicked things have done to people all around the world. That's what we were called to do. He's doing the same thing he did at creation. Jesus is that creator, all right? So consider with me further. There's the crucifixion of Christ. What did that crucifixion do? That crucifixion was there to redeem people. There's the resurrection of Christ. What's that supposed to do? To give to those redeemed people everlasting life. He just gave to them life everlasting. He's given them a purpose. He's given them a mission. He's given them meaning. Now he's given them everlasting life that they can carry all of that with them wherever they go and not have to fear death. What's the ascension of Christ do? 
The ascension of Christ is the work of God also, and the work of God in the ascension of Christ to put him on the right hand of the Father while the Father waits, or I should say, he's telling his son to wait here at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Look, if Jesus was not at rest, he would be protesting to his dad, you're taking too long. I already got my guys. Let me have these guys. We'll create this, the world you have to come. And then the Father says, no. In my long suffering, I have more I plan to bring. And Jesus is going to go so far as to say, my Father didn't tell me when I'm coming again. Are you okay with that answer, Jesus? Are you okay with that? Yeah. Why? Dad knows best. It's not significant to me when that's going to be because my father knows best. So when my father tells me I'm coming back, that's when I'm coming back. Kids, that's rest. You follow what I'm coming from? That's rest. You say, well, it sounds like faith. It's rest. All right? He came to give rest to the people of God. Now, if I can talk about the rest just for a minute. Jesus Christ was only doing the work of the father without exertion, Intentional submission. You remember that at that one point it was a Sabbath. And Jesus was in there and the Pharisees were waiting to see. Here comes this guy with a withered hand. Thing is it's a mess. Will Jesus heal that? Let's see. Now, in their mind, what that's gonna take. He's going to pick it up and straighten it out. Is he gonna grab the guy's hand and wrap it? Because that would be work. And they've got him if he works on the Sabbath. So instead, Jesus says, hold out your hand. He holds out his hand, and it's well. What work did Jesus do? He didn't do anything. Did he move? Didn't move a muscle? Didn't do a thing. Why? Because at rest, you don't have to move a muscle. And I'm telling you, ligaments came all back together again. Muscles grew that hadn't been there before. Movement can take place now that hadn't moved before. And Jesus did that. And they had a hard time trying to figure out, how do you blame him now? How do you find him guilty now? He didn't do anything. But he did something. Yes, just like the Father did on day seven. He watched it all work, just like it's supposed to. Are you seeing where I'm coming from? All right, let me go another step further with you. When Jesus is coming to the rest of God, hear these words. It is finished. Jesus said to his dad, the work you gave me to do, I have done. I have completed every task you sent me to do, and it's done. Now, I'm ready to come back home. It's finished. Everything is at rest. All right. The image of God. You are born again through faith in the person and finished work of Christ. You're representing God. You are in union with God. Jesus said that when you are born again, he puts you in a union with him. He has in mind a rest for us, a rest that allows God to work right through us. Let me see if I can give you some uh, definitions I wrote down here. Rest is that union with Christ through faith in Him that allows me to be free from my own efforts at pleasing God. 
if you're trying so hard to please God, stop. Come to rest. Jesus Christ has, has done that for you. You're at peace with God. You already stop blaming yourself. Stop going all over that. Come to rest. Rest is the submission to God that allows his Holy Spirit to work through me to practice righteousness. Rest is abiding in Christ in which his life running through me is producing fruit in my life and life experience. He's not asking you to produce fruit, friends. He's asking you to bear fruit. Just like he didn't ask Abraham to have children, he said, I will give you a child. You follow me? It's the same thing, kids. It's letting God do that work through us rather than us trying to produce something in his place. Rest is humility, allowing God to make me look foolish to others if his righteousness is practiced. If they have to laugh at me because of my, some practice that I see my father wants me to do, then that's okay because it's what my father wants done. Rest is not having to defend God but allowing him to prove himself through me. Rest is that confidence in God's love for me that allows me to enjoy him more than any other thing in life. Rest is that state of letting God create in me a clean heart without objection. It's to remake me in his son's image. Rest is gratitude for everything and anxiety, complain, or protest to have no part in my life. It's to recognize that God is taking care of things, that God is going to do things. Listen to how Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. That's rest. Let him take up his cross daily. That's rest, that God's going to go ahead and crucify the things in me that still have to be done. And follow me. That's not follow my own way of doing things. It's following him. That's rest. And he calls on us to be still and know that I am God. Be at rest. Be at peace. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much that you're good and kind and merciful to us. You're always showing us great grace. Teach us to rest. We can't see how rest works, Father. To be truthful with you, we, we just militate against that. We're not sure we want such a thing as a Sabbath. It's another rule for us to obey because we, we got so much more we could do with seven days than we do have with just the, the six that you let us have. Oh, Father, forgive us. Bring us to rest in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message by Pastor White. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, .org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.